I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I am really excited about my next guest. We actually got connected through LinkedIn. And so I'm really excited for her to join me today. She is here all the way from the UK. And uh, I love her title where she is a story coach. I believe that might be the term. She can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that is so uh, interesting. And we know that stories really matter. I'm very passionate about stories because I suffered in my own life uh, with depression for 13 years and was hospitalized three times. And I find that it's very important to share that story with other people because it one can help them learn from your mistakes and it can prevent them from doing the same thing that you suffered with as well. So at this time, I'm gonna give her the floor to introduce herself before we get into the interview. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, so glad for you to be here as well. So tell everybody who you are and um, what, it, what it is that you do before we get into the interview. Okay, my name is Parul. I am a story coach based in London, UK and I help people share their stories. So when I say I help people share their stories, what I do is a three-step process. I help them find their story because they've got to find what the story is. You can only share something when you know what it is. Each one of us has a story inside of us. We just have to reach within and cull out that story from within us. So that's the first step. Once we have done that, we have got to own that story because if we aren't okay with it, if we haven't owned it, there is no chance that we would go out and share it with the rest of the world. So that's the next step. And the final step is once we have found what our story is and we have owned it, then I help people share their story. And I do it because I believe that our story is one of the most powerful tools that we have to communicate our message with clarity and to be seen and heard by our audience to really connect with our audience soulfully. So storytelling and speaking are the tools that I help people with so that uh, my fellow coaches, that's what my audience is, I primarily work with fellow coaches, they can go out and have the impact that they want and create the business that they want. More impact, more income, and more joy. I love so that. That's what I do. That is so awesome. And, you know, we are finding more and more frequently how important stories are. You know, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell others. I mean, uh, there is so much to that. So what actually led you to that title. Now we embrace that term, but I'm sure you didn't start where everybody was like, oh yeah, story coach, that's what I need. You know, so walk us through that journey of how that started. <laughs> I decided to get into story coaching because of my own experience, wherein I saw the power of stepping on a stage and sharing my story. And I saw the real impact and the change it brought. So leave story coaching. I wasn't even a coach until a few years ago. I'm somebody who has had a very normal life. I did the normal things that normal people did mm -hmm. or do. 
I went to school, went to college, went to uni, joined the corporate world, worked hard for performance ratings and bonuses, traveled the world, spent time with family. That was my life. It was a good life. I loved it. And that's how my life was until the week of my 34th birthday when I was diagnosed with the most aggressive kind of breast cancer. And boom, my life changed. And so I did what I had to do to get through cancer. But honestly, for the first six months, I didn't quite know if I would still be here because such is the nature of cancer. You can never sit back and be complacent that just because you have access to the best treatment in the world, it is going to work. And so in my case, I had to go through the process and find out for myself if it would work. And during that period of uncertainty, I got up every single day and made this promise to myself that if I make it to the other side of cancer, I would do everything in my power to live the rest of my life, no matter how long it is or short it is, as meaningfully and joyously as possible. possible. And so I think in that phase when the light at the end of the tunnel seemed too far away, the tunnel was just too long, that's how it felt. This promise that I made to myself, it gave me hope, it kept me going and then in about seven months time, we found out that I made it to the other side of cancer, yeah. Which was terrific, which was amazing because like I said, I could never sit back and be complacent that I would definitely make it to the other side because uh, when somebody is touched by cancer, well, no pun intended, not everyone makes out alive. Yeah, so true. And um, I love uh, the fact that you shared that with us. And, you know, you brought up a good point about living a normal life. You know, you got the job, went to university and everything. And, um, you know, what do you think really was missing where when it was the diagnosis that came into your life that you had to be faced with that made you feel like you would live every day the best way that you could. What was missing from the, that quote unquote normal life that you had? Hindsight is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight, I'm able to look back and see that whilst I loved my life back then, my pre-cancer life, mm -hmm. it was a good life. I agree, but it was was also a life that was pretty much on an autopilot. And so one thing that changed in my world, pre-cancer and post-cancer was, I stepped away from living a life on autopilot. And I decided to start making decisions consciously, start living consciously. And so that was a huge switch for me when I went through cancer. Yeah, you know, and that resonates with me so well because, you know, I do the same thing. I say pre-depression, post-depression, you know, that's how it's like, it's two different uh, lenses that you're looking through. And yes. I love how you bring up, you couldn't be complacent, you know, because a lot of people feel like, oh, I just have this vision that everything's going to work out, or you have a goal or a mantra that you are going to 
live by, but it takes work for these things to actually manifest. So explain to everybody when you say you couldn't get complacent and you did make that uh, morning affirmation to yourself, what other things did you have to do during that time that other people might not be aware of? Okay, so there were a couple of things. I would say because I live in the UK, I obviously had access to absolutely brilliant treatment. So my doctors, my healthcare team, they were instrumental in making sure, doing the best they could to make sure that I get through cancer, I survive cancer. My family was there for me. So my mom was my primary carer. My husband was there for me every step of the way. And I saw how much I was loved, how much I was treasured. And that was really, really important. I also had a lot of I also had a lot of support in terms of non-clinical aspects that helped me heal. So when I came out the other side, which is the official, okay, cancer, we can't see it in your body anymore. Mm-hmm. I had access to therapy. I had access to counseling. I did lots of physical therapy that helped me manage a lot of side effects of the treatment. I invested in a lot of coaching and That is how I rebuilt my life after cancer. So what are some of the things I did? I would say that I had people who were doing their job for me, my healthcare team, later my therapists, my family was supporting me, but I was not a passive participant in my own journey. I was an active participant, which meant I did whatever I had to do, whatever I needed to do, whether it was looking after myself, whether it was going to all those therapy sessions, going to all those coaching sessions, asking for help, because I believe that's the best thing I could do in that moment for myself as well as for my loved ones. And for everyone who had made it their mission to help me survive and later thrive beyond cancer. And so I wasn't a passive, I wasn't a passive person. I wasn't a passive participant in my recovery. I was an active participant. So I read up about Cancer didn't get complacent in the sense that I knew the possibilities and uh, and I took action every single day, no matter how little it was, but I took action and it all cumulatively built up and I'm very grateful that uh, I have, I had the opportunity to come out on the other side and share with you this success story. That is so awesome. And, you know, I love how you did have a lot of support and, You know, for many people who you have followed this quote unquote normal life, doing everything appeared to be right, how was that journey with asking for help? You know, because for many people, they're like, well, I'm doing everything right, I understand. And that could be a challenge for them. We have people now who are, you know, they've had their identity, these jobs for so many years, and now you know, it's like they're starting over on the ground level and they already were senior leaders or things like that. So what advice would you give them about making that transition from, you know, being high on the totem pole to now being what they feel like at the bottom, starting over and asking for help? So are we talking about asking for help during uh, my cancer phase or somebody who's making a transition from a leadership role and finding a new career? 
Yeah, either one, you know, just like, you know, what tips would you give them? Because even though your your um, story may be different in terms of you asking for that help during cancer and with your support group, but for somebody else, it may not be that they have an illness. It could be just them, you know, totally reinventing themselves in their careers, you know, for right now. So with the similarities of the two asking for help, what advice would you give them? Well, the first thing we have got to understand is that uh, asking for help does not make you a weak person. If you're asking for help, it doesn't mean that there is something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you can't do it on your own. It doesn't mean that you are weak or unskillful by any means. It doesn't mean that. The only thing it means is that you care about whatever it is that you're asking for help for to reach out. You care about it so much that you are willing to reach out and ask for help. And so asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is a sign of courage that you are ready to do whatever it takes. And seeing it as a sign of courage, asking for help, that it's a sign of courage, that's a very different story that we tell ourselves from believing that if I reach out and ask for help, oh, I would be seen as a weakling. No, they are two very different stories. And, uh, and so that is the biggest inner story I would, I would want people to tweak and rewire. The second thing is, there is a lot of help available in the world. There are people who are willing to help. They are kind people. They are skilled people. We don't have to do everything on our own. We may have support from our family, but there's also a lot of support which is available professionally. And I think we should reach out and seek that support. Now, there are people who would tell me that, oh, after being through a life-changing illness, just an example, if you invest in coaching, then you're putting in more money, money that you already don't have. And I would say, well, if I hadn't invested in coaching and rebuilt my life, I would probably still be in that mess. All that investment can be recouped really quickly when you get back on your feet and you make the transition. And I would say it's not just about going through a life-changing illness. No, exactly the same concept applies when we set up a business. I was somebody who worked in safe corporate jobs. And that's what I had aspired for. And I was where I was doing well in my corporate career. And when I went through cancer, I changed as a person. The things that I wanted from life, they changed. And so in my post-cancer life, when I said, oh, I'm going to come off my autopilot and I'm going to start living consciously, one of the ways in which this decision showed up was I said, I'm going to step away from the life that I had before and rebuild my life. And that is why I have a very clear pre and post-cancer life because I don't see cancer as a bump in road for me. I see it as a fork in the road for me because I changed my life consciously after that. And so I stepped away from the corporate world and I said, I'm only going to focus on the work that brings me joy and meaning. Remember the promise that I had made to myself? And I said, I'm going to work as a coach. 
And that's how I transitioned into coaching. But you see, I was, I was at a particular level in the corporate world and then I walked away from it and I was starting all over again. It felt like learning to walk again. I was anyway recovering from cancer that was hard enough. And amidst all of that, I took the decision to work for myself. Now, as somebody who had always been in the corporate world and was used to that salary coming at the end of every month, starting all over and running my business, that was a completely different beast. And so one of the biggest advices I can give to somebody with the benefit of wisdom that I have now, because I've been doing it for a few years, is take the next step. Just take the very next step, because it is the next step that is going to bring you closer to your big goal. So it's okay. In fact, it's great to have those big audacious goals, but it is always your next step that will count, that will help you make progress. That's one. The second thing is work with somebody. I I qualified as a coach and then I decided that, oh, I'm going to make my business work first. And when I have money, I'm going to invest in coaching. That was my way of thinking. If anybody who's starting out, if, uh, if you want my advice, I would say that's a pretty bad way to do it because when you are new to running a business, it's a completely different way. And you wouldn't even know you would get in your own way. I got in my own way. And I, I think most people do. Most people get in their own way. Mm-hmm. But when we work with a coach, it is so easy to be accountable and to help them get us out of our own way because, hey, that's the only person who's stopping us from moving ahead. And if I had made that investment before, then I would have made my business work so much quicker. So don't do it alone. That's all I am saying. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. There is support available. Yes, it comes at a price, but the price of not making that investment is worse and much higher because when it takes time to get clients and get that in controlling, there is stress. If you are building a business while you're already in a job or you have you already have a business, you have some revenue coming in, some money coming in, that's great. Then you would probably not have so much stress. But in my case, I had stepped away from the corporate world because I was recovering from cancer and I was starting all over again. And so I felt a lot of pressure to make it work, make it work, make it work. And that was just crazy. I set myself up for failure. That's what I would say. That's how it felt because I had all these big goals and I was stressed. And if you have ever been in a relationship and really wanted somebody badly and chased them hard, the best thing that can happen is you would get declined politely. And the worst thing that can happen is they would avoid you like the plague, mm-hmm. right? That's what happens when we chase somebody in a relationship. Well, building a business is exactly like that. If you're desperate, you chase clients, you chase right. after prospects. At the most, they will just say, no, thank you. At worst, they will just get pissed off. Mm-hmm. Either way, you don't get what you want. And so that's a pretty 
bad place to be in. So I would say, don't do it alone. There's no glory in making things harder than they need to be. There is help available, work with somebody and focus on the next step. Have a vision, but focus on the next step. I love that. That That is some great advice because, you know, many of us, we're so gung-ho about these businesses and that's all we do is eat, sleep and breathe that business. So, you know, needless to say, the way we interpret it is yeah. not how other people may see it, you know, when we have that uh, freshness with a new business. So um, walk us through what it's like with making this transition with your support and family, because, you know, it may mean um, doing things different than how you used to before cancer, you know, saying no to some things, having boundaries. So for somebody who is like, you know, I'm just starting new, I can't control what happened yesterday, but I'm moving forward with boundaries, with, you know, time for me and self-care. So walk them through that transition when it comes to family, friends, or people that have seen you before doing things differently. Yeah. So I would say boundaries is something I got really good at Mm -hmm. when I was going through cancer because I had very little energy to do literally anything. I mean, I was, I got in a state where I was poorly and I needed help even for basic things. And so there was no way that I could continue giving, giving, giving. I had to fill in my own cup. And you know what? It is okay to do that. Looking after yourself is not being selfish. It is the best thing you can do for yourself as well as your loved ones. What good I have been for my family if I hadn't looked after myself and had taken longer to recover, it wouldn't have helped anyone. And so I focused on myself and uh, got well in as little time as possible. Well, it ran into a few years because, because of the treatment and the illness I had but I got there eventually. And that's what they wanted me to focus on, get well. We tend to ignore, well, not everybody, but a lot of us tend to ignore our health. When I say health, I'm talking about our physical well-being. I'm talking about our mental and emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, until it comes and hits us badly. And so from my experience, I can tell you when health falls apart, everything stops and nothing really matters in that moment because you know that unless and until you become functional again nothing is possible and so I would say look after your health have those boundaries and yes you may have people who do not quite get you for example in my family nobody has done a business everybody has been in proper corporate jobs And so this whole decision of, but why can't you go back to a job? It was hard for people to understand because why would I want to start all over again? It just didn't make any sense. But you see, the person had changed. I had changed. Mm -hmm. And I wanted different life, Mm -hmm. different things for my life. Mm -hmm. How much ever was left, whether it was five years or 50 years. And it was my decision to make. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
Yes, it yep. was my decision to make because, mm -hmm. hey, I would rather start all over and do what I want to do and have a good go at it than, than face my own mortality and say, oh, I wish I had done that. And when I was going through cancer, I actually experienced the whole, what's the worst that can happen? And I realized that whatever we imagine to be the worst case scenario, most of it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> A lot of it, they're just thoughts, they're stories. And I like to tell my audience, I like to say this to my audience, that don't believe everything that you think here. They are just yes. thoughts, they're just stories. And a lot of them aren't true. So be very careful about what you believe that's going on in your head. So true. And yeah, and stick to stories that help you move closer to your goals, that build you up and not pull you down. I love that. And, you know, so uh, going, I really appreciate you answering those questions and being transparent because many people, you know, they might have lost loved ones or, you know, it's just the pain where people may be of trying to move forward. This is really you know, the similarity with that. Now, when we switch gears and we go to you being a story coach, and we understand that stories do matter, it's important to connect with your audience. So what are some of the things that we typically do wrong when it comes to sharing our story? Okay. So what are the typical things we do wrong when we mm -hmm. are sharing our story? One of the biggest things is this idea that my story isn't good enough. A lot of people have this idea because they think that their story is ordinary. I say that your story looks ordinary to you because you live that story every single day. That's your normal. But for somebody who is where you were and needs help, that ordinary story can be an extraordinary story. Here is an example for you. In the year 2018, just over a year ago, all over the world, there were 17 million cases of cancer that were newly diagnosed. 17 million people were officially documented to have cancer all over the world. And we aren't including people like myself who were living beyond cancer. And we aren't talking about people impacted by cancer in terms of family. We aren't talking about people who were not documented or didn't have access to the data. And yet in a world where within a year, 17 million new cases of cancer were diagnosed, my cancer story continues to inspire people when they listen to it. It's just a common ordinary cancer story but it is extraordinary to the person who stuck where I was eight years ago. Right. And it is remarkable for them. That story of survival, that story of hope, that story of there can be a life beyond cancer. That's exactly what they need to hear on that tough day when they are sitting in the oncology ward plugged in with, with their chemo plugged in mm -hmm. and feeling poorly and feeling hopeless. For them, that's an extraordinary story. And that's the value of our story. So don't 
don't play small by thinking that your story is ordinary. That's the first myth that people have that our story is only ordinary. That's awesome. Now, um, then also when it comes to people owning their story. So I know for me, I, you know, was raised a high achiever. I was an only child and then boom, I have 15 children of my own, right? So then it's like, how am I managing this? And so I felt like, man, I'm not doing anything right, you know? So when I had the period of the depression, you know, I, it was not in alignment with who I saw myself being. So I had to figure out how to reframe that and embrace that story to where I can move forward. So for people who are at that phase of actually owning it, what advice would you give them to doing that so that they can move forward? Okay. Owning our story is a very, very important part because you may know your story, but if you haven't owned it, you will never have the courage or the inspiration or the motivation to go out and share it. It's as simple as that. And so this is an opportunity for you to look within yourself and really help yourself. So when you find that story, whatever that story is, whatever that experience is, that you may feel is normal or ordinary, or it could be extraordinary to you, that extraordinary story. After that, you've got to feel, am I going out and sharing that story? Simple. Ask simple questions of yourself. Am I going out and sharing your story? Especially if you work in a field wherein you have your own business, you need it to connect with people or you work in a corporate leadership role where you have teams, you've got to inspire people, really, really build that connection. If the answer is no, I'm not quite sharing my story, then it is time to look within deeper. What's going on? That's another stream of thoughts that needs to be worked on. And it can be hard to do this process on your own. And that is simply because we are really clever beings. We are smart. We are clever. We cook up these stories that necessarily don't help us. And that is why if you have that insight coming in from somebody who can help you, whoever that is. Yes, I love that. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, I'm sorry, I wear contacts. I don't know if a piece of dust got in it or what. But um, I think this is really powerful because, you know, I think that a lot of people feel like there is uh, some kind of shame or uh, guilt or resentment or something that's still attached to that story that, you know, it's like that work that just is not quite done before they can own it. Yes, I would say there are a couple of litmus tests that I like to call. Mm -hmm. How do you check at a very lumpsome basis, at a very 20,000 feet level, whether you are ready to, whether you are owning that story and you're ready to share it or not? One simple way is, can you share your story without that lump in your throat? If you're getting all choked up and and living that trauma and that experience all over again, it's time to pause. It's time to do the work and come back to sharing that part of your story. That's one. The second thing is I invite you to think about 
people who are most important to you. So let's do this here. I want you to think about your story and I want you to think about the people who are precious to you. Got them? Yep. Okay. The simple question that you've got to ask yourself is this story that I want to share with the world, am I okay to share it with these special people in my life? People I wouldn't want to let down. People like our parents, people like our siblings, our spouses, our children, grandchildren, some special friends. If you say that you are owning your story and you are worried, what if my parents find out from watching this video on the internet, hey, there is something going on there because you're still worried about, you still want to keep it with you. You still want to contain it. You are, you're not okay that people who matter to you are going to watch it and you, you are worried that you're going to let them down in some way. So that's a very good litmus test because a lot of times we can cook up those stories, like I said before, and yes. tell us what we want to hear. But when we think of the same situation from, from a different angle and then we consider people who are really important to us, it can bring in a different perspective. And so, based on what you find out, there are two ways to go ahead. If mm -hmm. you're okay with the story and you have done these basic checks, take small steps and start sharing that story. Mm-hmm. There can also be a situation wherein you have got to go back and do the work. Mm -hmm. And it could be a short-term solution like, okay, when I talk about my cancer and how poorly I was and all the emotional distress I had, or let's take a more tangible experience. When I was going through cancer and I wasn't sure whether I would live or die, amidst that uncertainty about my life, mm -hmm. then it made me feel a certain way. And maybe that makes me feel very vulnerable. So my short-term solution can be, I don't have to share that specific bit. I can talk about everything else or something else that can be equally relevant to my audience that is going to inspire them. That's the short-term solution. But the long-term solution is go back look at what is bothering you. If you aren't okay with it, there is work that needs to be done. Because unless and until that work isn't done, it is always going to come back and haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. That needs to be done. There is no shortcut. And that is yeah. why the story work isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. It requires courage to be that vulnerable. It requires courage to be that open before the audience. Because I believe that our story is the most intimate and the most personal kind of content we can share with our audience. What can be more personal? What can be more intimate, more vulnerable than sharing our story? We are our story. So true. And those are some great points. And I think, um, you know, that is so key about being able to have a handle on that story because when you're not seeking that validation, from others. That is the main thing that helps you to share your story just with anybody, you know, yeah. and have it come up in a conversation because, you know, so often we're like, yeah, I'm ready to share, but it's only if somebody's going to ask you, well, 
how would I know to say, you know, did you have cancer or, you know, can you share with us about that? Because most people, when they overcome a great thing like that, you know, it's not like they have a sign on their head that tells what their story is. So it's kind of like <laughs> people say, oh, I'm ready to share. But if you're not telling, nobody's going to ask because who knows? I mean, we've all got our own stories, as you say. So I think that is very good to point out. So this has just been great. I mean, I can ask you a million questions. Okay? <laughs> and we are like running out of time. So I guess what advice would you like to leave the audience with uh, when it comes to stories or uh, some things that they could strategize about when it comes to connecting with their audience and also tell them how the best way to get a hold of you? I would say that your story is the most powerful tool that you have to reach out and connect with your audience. And you may worry that your story may not change the entire world, but let me assure you that it may not change the entire world, but it can change one person's entire world. And then you can start over and do it all over again. So. Your story is the tool that you can use to change the world one life at a time, one story at a time. That's beautiful. That is just absolutely beautiful. So what is the best way for everybody to get a hold of you? Oh, people can find me on Facebook. People can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I operate under caramelcoaching.com. Caramel, the caramel that we eat, sweet. Caramel, caramelcoaching.com. But the best way to get in touch with me is Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm very active on social media. Awesome. Well, I am so glad that we connected. And I want to thank you guys for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. And I think uh, it is very important when we want to make the world a better place for us to embrace our stories and our truths about our own perspective in order for us to make the world brighter. So thank you all for watching. I encourage you to reach out. If you have questions, feel free to put them in the comments and we will address them as need be. So thanks again for watching and we'll see you guys the next time. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Today's episode was sponsored by Self Development Network. Do you feel like you're in business all by yourself as an entrepreneur? This network is an opportunity for you to connect with like-minded people to continue your journey of self-development and build up your confidence in ways that matter. This opportunity is great for you to leverage your connections and increase your learning so that you can accomplish all that you desire in your personal and professional life. If this sounds like something that you might be interested in, feel free to click the link and sign up. It is just a low monthly obligation of $21 a month, and it's limited to just 21 people. This is an opportunity for you to be proactive with your development and continue to propel yourself forward and be the best version of you. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Have a phenomenal day.